It's the Veterans Radio Hour. Brought to you by Dallas Corporation for all your corporate printing needs. And by GIM Productions, creating internet solutions. Websites can do that. Now, stay tuned. The Veterans Radio Hour is next on the Veterans Radio Network. Tango Charlie Bravo, you're a go for the Veterans Hour. So your company has a website. We are all familiar with how the web can be used to showcase information. But did you know the web can also be used as a medium to actually do something to help your business? GIN Productions delivers custom web-based technology and applications to meet the needs of your company. We have the experience and the expertise to deliver web applications, e-commerce solutions, and interactive multimedia. GIN Productions can help you in making difficult technology decisions. We work to make web technology work for your company and we will be there along the way to support you as you grow. Our comprehensive team includes talented programmers, software developers, graphic designers, and network specialists that strive to bring you the best. Contact us at our toll-free number 1-887-256-6914 or email us at info at GIMproductions.com. Websites can do that. Welcome, one and all, to the Veterans Radio Hour. It's our tribute to all of those who served our great nation's armed forces, past and present, and their tremendous accounts of heroic duty and bravery. With your host, Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now, coming to you live from our Veterans Center studio, here is General Dave. Good evening. This is our 20th show, and General Dave is on a special mission, so he will not be with us tonight. But you can tune in and uh, be with us again next week when General Dave will be back in the main seat. I'm Kennedy Camp, filling in for General Dave, and happy to do so because tonight's show, Sources of Commissions. How does one become an officer? We've got some very unique guests with us. Before I give you their names, I want to let you all know if you'd like to call in, on Radio Land, toll-free number 866-928-2329. If you're on the veteransradiohour.com, live with us in the chat room, you can hit the discussion board and type in your questions and come up live with us here. I'm going to be having one of our special guests with us tonight working that uh, chat room board. With us tonight, Colonel Jerry Wolf. He is a, a retired United States Marine Corps officer. That's going to be very unique because he's a graduate of the United States Marine Corps Command and Staff College and also a graduate of the Communication Officer School and the Industrial College of the Armed Forces. Served overseas, I know for sure in Korea, with the Fleet Marine Force Artillery Units and as I believe also as a forward observer. We'll be finding out more with him in a moment. Second with us. Colonel Tom Rundell. He'll be on the chat room. He is a United States Army and he's with the 2nd Brigade, 2nd ROTC Region. He is the Brigade Commander, someone who served with General Dave in Bosnia and I also know that he's uh, did some service in, in uh, Haiti a little while back. Next to us is also Lieutenant Colonel Dan Bogoyevich. You've heard his name a few times on our show. One of our good people has helped support us. 
He's unique. He's been commissioned in the United States Army, Illinois National Guard back in 1968. And uh, he was with the 108th Support Battalion, Operation Officers, uh, 179th Infantry, served with the uh, 101 Airborne, and of course, uh, the 1st Infantry, the Big Red One. And over in Bosnia was the Assistant Political Advisor, more than likely to General Dave, uh, among others. <laughs> Along uh, with him, we're going to have Brent Kaufman. Brent's a United States Army Reserve. He is presently a captain. Brent is from West Point originally. He is now working as the admissions lia liaison officer uh, to the academy, primarily West Point, but he's gonna tell us about getting your commission through the academies. And finally, on the phone, we've got Lieutenant Mike Sparks coming in with us former NCO and officer, U.S. Marine Corps. Mike is one of those guys who has done a lot to not only help this program out, but also has worked with General Dave on some books. He's uh, right now the uh, lead on the first tactical studies group, Airborne, based out of Fort Bragg. It's a uh, not-for-profit think tank. He comes up with answers and ideas that he's gonna be with us in regards to uh, getting his commission as well. To begin the show tonight, I think we're going to do a special dedication. Tonight's dedication, we're going to recognize every newly deployed officer that is just now be, being sent to the Middle East. We wish them all well, Godspeed, safety, and hooah! Here is today's military quote of the day, brought to you by support from retired Lieutenant Commander Adrian Rubinkowski. Our special quote of the day was recorded in March 21st, 1939 by a special woman born on May 1st, 1907, who died June 17th, 1986. And it is a quote that is sung and is said nearly every day by tens of thousands. And that quote is, God bless America. You're listening to the Veterans Hour with retired Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now, back to the broadcast. And once again, uh, General Dave is not with us tonight. He's on a special mission. And so we're talking about how do you get your commission? How do you become someone like a General Dave? We're going to start off with Colonel Jerry Wolf. Jerry, I believe, is a retired colonel who uh, received your commission through the United States Marine Corps Officers Candidate Program. Can you tell us about when and how that all took place for you? That's right, Kenny. Thank you. I uh, came from a line of uh, military officers in my family, and uh, I decided that when it was my time to go into the armed forces that I wanted to be an officer. The uh, Marine Corps uh, attracted me due to its tra traditions and uh, its history and uh, various other uh, important things. So <clears throat> I, uh, when I finished college at uh, Northwestern University, I uh, went into the officer candidate program. And uh, I really didn't know much about it, but it just sounded good. <laughs> so um, uh, I was sent to um, uh, Quantico, Virginia, Marine Corps schools, uh, it was called at that time, where the uh, officer candidate program lasted for 13 weeks. And it was much like 
a uh, enlisted boot camp, only the, uh, uh, the DIs were a little, little meaner. <laughs> to try to make you a better officer to, to automatically. To make a better officer, so you know how, how it was. Uh, the requirements have not changed much over the years for your acceptance into the program. You must be a college graduate or a student in good standing and have an ACT combined at 45 or an SAT of 1050. The uh, pass the physical examination, which uh, is a standard for all Marine officers. The, also, there's a requirement that you pass the physical fitness test, which all Marines must, uh, must uh, successfully complete. It involves a three-mile run and a carry of your, uh, one of your associate buddies for a number of, uh, uh, a number of yards, plus uh, pull-ups, uh, chin-ups, uh, chin uh, setups and so forth. So it, it's a pretty good indication of what your physical condition is. And I must comment that before you embark on this, you must get yourself in very good physical shape because there's, there's no makeup time like some of our professional sports people do today. Were you doing sports uh, during your Northwestern uh, stint as well? No, I was a bandsman. A bandsman? I was a bandsman and uh, I had the distinction of playing in the first Rose Bowl game. Oh, no kidding, good. <laughs> and what age, so then you went into probably OCS at uh, 22, 23. That's right. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. L let me move on for a minute to uh, Dan Bogoyevich. He's a retired lieutenant colonel who I know also uh, went to OCS. But I think yours was a little bit different. Tell us the difference. Yes, it was. Mine was uh, through a state program, as a matter of fact, here in Illinois. And uh, I had enlisted in the Illinois Guard in 1965. Uh, achieved the rank of uh, E5 and then decided that I, I wanted to do a little bit more than just be a soldier. I wanted to see if I could contribute something more. So I applied for the OCS program through the state. Now the, now the differences were basically you had to still test, you had to do the physical test, you had to go through a number of uh, boards and then if you were approved you uh, went to Springfield at Camp Lincoln. Yeah, that's where the uh, state program uh, was run. And the, the way the program worked there was that you would go for a two-week annual training, which would be your first part. And then you had 12 monthly weekends also at Camp Lincoln. And then you finished with another annual training. So it took a year to get through. And uh, in retrospect, I think, Going to Benning might have been a little easier than going home every month. <laughs> Benning was and, 13 weeks then the same well, it, uh, yes, as it Marine was, Corps? Was, yeah, I think it was basically the same program. But, uh, but once you were in and your head was screwed on right, it's probably easier to just continue than to go home after two days and then have to come back <laughs> yeah. 30 days later and think, oh my God, these guys are going to, these tactical officers are waiting for us to arrive. But uh, then uh, after the second annual training, you were uh, commissioned on the last day of that uh, training, mm -hmm. if you made it successful. Well, we'll come back to both the OCS uh, colonels here, uh, because I found out that there's basically three sources of commissions. Uh, one, of course, the OCS, where we just talked about both now Marines and National Guard. And then there's also, of course, the service of commissions in academies, and through the multiple academies there are. And then there's ROTC, uh, which most people have heard of. From what I understand, that. 70 to 75 percent is ROTC, and 20, 25 percent are the academies, 
and then another 5% are what you two gentlemen were involved with, and that's the officer's candidate school, the, the programs that they have. So I think I'm going to jump to the highest level right away and uh, move into uh, Colonel Tom Rundell for a moment. Um, tell us about what it means to do ROTC and the difference between our uh, OCS ROTC levels. Well, thank you. Uh, ROTC is something that's a very old program. In fact, uh, the first ROTC-type program was founded in 1819 uh, with the, the starting of uh, the famous Norwich University. It was actually grounded by a gentleman who was a former superintendent of the newly established military academy at West Point, a fellow by the name of Alden Partridge. But it wasn't until World War I that the country realized it needed a regular source of commission uh, into generally what would be the reserves. Uh, over time, though, uh, the Reserve Officers Training Corps has provided not only reserve officers to both the Army Reserve and the Army National Guard, but also to the uh, active Army. Uh, presently, we're, we're missioned, if you will, uh, which is to say that we're required to provide to the Army 3,900 commissioned officers a year. Uh, these officers all come from various schools. Uh, we have 270 major ROTC programs across the country now, divided into uh, three regions and 13 brigades. Uh, but like in many other environments, things are changing, so the number of brigades and regions will change shortly, as do policies from time to time. Uh, the interesting thing about ROTC also, in relation to the other programs, is that there are uh, soldiers that, that elect to go into uh, ROTC from the Army, and they're given time to do so under what's called green to gold. We also have many former enlisted people who have gone to college and elect to join ROTC. Uh, these people comprise some of the most experienced. What ROTC does for a student, though, is to provide a, a learning environment for a number of years, can be four years, could be three, could be two, and perhaps even one for the, for the really uh, accelerated cadets. Uh, the average high school student that wants to join ROTC would generally want a scholarship and would begin as a freshman. They finally contract to join the Army, though, uh, about the time of junior year. Uh, there's possibilities then to get full scholarships that provide uh, tuition fees, books, and a stipend uh, for all four years of college. There's also the possibility to go to college while a freshman and elect to join ROTC and begin scholarship as a sophomore, possibly even as a junior. You also have the option, if a person was to join ROTC, of uh, simply being in the program, not needing a scholarship, or perhaps having a scholarship from another source, and in that case, they get a stipend. In each case, then, they get a chance to elect a particular branch and to decide whether to go reserve uh, component or active component. Qualifications, uh, ages, and, and other things are always waverable, so I'm not going to state what those are. Uh, we like to think about, as all service academies do, and, and we try to model our, our uh, some of our procedures on what service academies do, we, we try to get the scholar-athlete leader, and that's someone who has leadership ability and demonstrates it in high school, someone who's a scholarship who has above a 2.0, and we want above a 3.0 if we can get it, and then also uh, has, has athletic ability and demonstrates such by playing on team sports, as well as can pass the Army PT test, which is a bit simpler than the one that you described, sir, but uh, is still a good uh, gut check for a new student. And we're finding the kids today uh, don't necessarily come with the tools. Colonel Tom, you mentioned that they get to select the branch of service they want to go into. Define that a little bit more for well, me. Well, it's it's an interesting thing. I, I was having dinner one night at a, at a, at a Marine Corps ball, and uh, one of the Marine wives said, uh, how come all you have branches and we just think we're Marines? And I think that's an interesting <laughs> comparison. Yes, you do have a branch in the Army. There's a great deal of identification with the Army at large, but officers in the Army, as well as the enlisted soldiers, 
uh, tend to identify with a branch, uh, not first, but kind of co-equally. Uh, within the branches, you have choices as an entry uh, of, of combat arms, combat support arms, uh, combat service support arms, combat arms being infantry armor, such things as that, uh, combat support, such things as military intelligence and communications, combat service support, generally logistic uh, and medical type things, many others as well. There, there are numerous branches. These are all actually available at the Army ROTC website, which can be found by just doing a web search for ROTC and then you can check on branches and you could even go to the branch website so people that are interested can get more detailed information than we've got time to put out here. Good, we'll come back a little bit more because I think I also have heard the term junior ROTC and we'll find out more about that in a little while. Right now let's bring in of course the last and probably the most famous way of becoming an officer and, and that is to attend an academy. Uh, Army Reserve uh, Captain uh, Brent Kaufman is with us, who is the uh, admissions liaison officer. And I guess you have to explain to us, uh, who are you being a liaison for? I'll be glad to, Kenny. Thank you for having me tonight. As a liaison officer for West Point, my role is to, to be in the middle of the application process. So I'm serving both the candidates and the admissions office. So that's a unique role, and one that I enjoy very much. I've been a liaison officer for, for four years, and want to mention uh, what Colonel Rendell was discussing. The program he mentioned about ROTC is a fabulous program, and my role as a liaison officer is to make sure that my candidates are specifically informed about West Point, but also generally informed about ROTC and the other service academies. So I'm here tonight to sh shed more information about the the five federal service academies. Yeah, well, name those five for us, if you would. Those five academies, of course, are the United States Military Academy at West Point, the United States Naval Academy at, Annap at Annapolis, Thank you. the United States Air Force Academy at Colorado Springs, Colorado, the United States Coast Guard Academy at New London, Connecticut, and the United States Merchant Marine Academy at Kings Point, New York. Meaning that uh, the Marines come from? Great question. And. What, what, great, great question. We, we, got some reaction. We, we got some reaction in the audience, <laughs> and that's a great question because Marine Corps officers come from uh, Annapolis, the Naval Academy, or through uh, Navy ROTC Marine Option. Now, the Merchant Marine Academy is not traditionally the source for Marine Corps officers, but there is flexibility in which branch of the service they choose to go into. Most Merchant Marine Academy graduates uh, tend to go into the maritime service. Uh, but they do have an option to to transfer to another branch of service. And you, of course, yourself then have graduated from West Point, I would imagine. Correct. I graduated from West Point uh, in 1993, served five years on active duty, and now continue to serve in the Army Reserves as a liaison officer. Excellent. Uh, Mike Sparks, you're on the phone with us? Lieutenant Mike Sparks, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. Good. Uh, now, I'm bringing you on because not only because you've helped out the show so much, and I know that you as an officer also were a Marine non-com or non-commissioned officer. Uh, tell us how you became an officer or, or the difference between what you were non-com wise to the officer level. Well, I was in the Marine Corps Reserve and while I was in the Marine Corps Reserve, I found there was a certain limitation to the kind of training you got and opportunities to be in charge. So when I was going through college, I enrolled in Army ROTC and had to make a tough choice whether to go into the Army side of the house or go to the Marine Corps OCS program, which we call Platoon Leadership Course, ELC. So I went with the Marine Corps option, and in my junior year, I went to PLC Junior, which is a six-week 
OCS, and then went back the next summer to PLC Senior, mm -hmm. which is the second six week. You could also go for the 13 week installment uh, straight through, I'm sorry, 10 week installment straight through. That's another way of doing it. So it's both called OCS, but there's two versions of OCS, PLC Junior and PLC Senior. And then after you're done with that, you go to a 23 week um, officer basic course, which the Marine Corps calls the basic school at Quantico, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And Quantico, Virginia, I think I've heard that term someplace before. Yes, the, the earlier officers uh, mentioned that. So the idea on that is that everybody would get a basic grounding in all the um, MOSs and specialties uh, that are in the Marine Corps, so you have a general knowledge of it. But you would then, at the end of that 23 basic course, go to your branch. So the Marine Corps has branches. We just don't wear them on the collar like you do in the Army. Mm -hmm. And Colonel Wolf, you were, this is the same Quantico's... Uh... That, that's right. Uh, Quantico is now the Marine Corps University. Back in my day, it was Marine Corps schools, but it's, it's graduated to be a university. And it, it has uh, all the basic officer training uh, facilities, plus advanced schools. That's command staff school uh, and uh, the officer's junior course and so forth. So it's, it's the educational spot for the Corps. Very good. We're going to be coming back. We're going to take a little bit of a, a break now. Uh, I'm going to do some support work here as well as we're going to come back and talk about the furthering uh, the sources of commission, uh, especially but with some of the academies to, uh, trying to find out just how complicated it is to get into one and do you really need to be a friend of somebody or, or what? Uh, and in ROTC, we got to find out a little bit more about uh, the junior style of ROTC. And then uh, we'll talk some more to our OCS uh, officers as well. Today is our 20th program of the Veterans Radio Hour. Of course, there's many people to thank for it. Our staff primarily here and the growth that we're going to be taking over the next year. Uh, we are also all waiting to see what is going to be happening with our military over the next few months. Military.com, one of the people we like to salute because they salute all who have answered the call to our nation's service, connecting the military community with many benefits of service. The National Vietnam Veterans Art Museum in Chicago with over 800 works of art from 160 artists, including the ceiling sculpture above and beyond. February 9th at the museum, Ordinary Heroes, a book and a movie and a speaker all on the Medal of Honor recipients. February 12th, we've got the great Colonel Bud Day. He's on his way to the Supreme Court. They've already called for a rally on the steps of the Supreme Court. I'm asking all who hear my voice, send your support and your prayers. Colonel Bud's got a class action suit for 22,000 veterans over the age of 65 who benefits are being, recovered, are being reduced. All of these veterans uh, are retirees, more than 20 years. Uh, visit the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund at vvmf.org to see Night Vision, a limited edition that they have and to raise some money. Next week's program, we're going to explore the possibility of war in General Dave. At ease, soldier. The Veterans Hour with General Dave will settle in again after a short break break on the Talk Radio Network. You're listening to the Veterans Radio Hour. 
We are on the air every Sunday evening at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, we're delighted to have everyone listening to us this evening on the internet as well as on uh, more than uh, 50 uh, stations across the country on the talk radio network. I just want to take a moment and say a quick hello and thank you to all of those uh, service personnel who are deployed and being deployed to the Middle East. Our thoughts and our prayers are with you. We deeply respect you for what you're doing on behalf of our country. Uh, we thank you and we salute you and Godspeed. The Veterans Radio Hour is hosted by uh, retired Brigadier General Dave Grange. Dave Grange is on a special mission this evening. He's not here, but he will be back next week. So, hello, General Dave. We look forward to having you back. Uh, General Dave uh, recently retired after 30 years of service. Uh, he commanded at all ranks up through Major General. He has three silver stars. Uh, he earned two Purple Hearts. He's presently Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of the Robert R. McCormick Trim Tribune Foundation, uh, among other activities. Uh, you know, the Veterans Radio Hour is a show by, for, and about veterans. Uh, we're here every week with uh, General Dave's uh, guests, uh, a distinguished uh, panel each week, uh, having a roundtable discussion on a wide range of historical and contemporary topics of uh, vital interest, uh, both to veterans as well as to active service personnel. You know, to read a book about World War II or the Vietnam War is always interesting, but to hear a live interview with someone who was there, such as General Dave's recent special guest, Colonel, uh, retired uh, Colonel uh, uh, Bud Day, America's most highly decorated flyer, and to have the opportunity to call in and to talk with him is uh, something else again. It's the stuff of which great radio is made, and uh, we are so uh, thrilled uh, to to have uh, guests uh, each week uh, of, of such uh, distinguished backgrounds and with such interesting information uh, creating uh, wonderful shows uh, which are all archived incidentally right there on the internet you can uh, uh, look up any of our previous uh, 19 shows this is our 20th uh, program uh, you can click on any show that you like and you can see what all the topics are as well as uh, hearing the current week's show or I should say the previous week's show which is a broadcast on a 24-hour basis right there on the website so if you'd like you missed anything tonight and you'd like to hear it again or if you want to tell someone about the program who you think would be interested in it please direct them to our website which as you know is uh, www.veteransradiohour.com let me mention uh, that the uh, that the Veterans Radio Hour is sponsored by uh, GIM Productions and by Dallas Corporation and by Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. We thank you for listening to us. Uh, tell your friends. Uh, our audience grows each week. Stay with us, and we'll be back on the air very shortly. Anchormates, the Veterans Radio Hour now continues full speed ahead on the talk radio network. Aye, aye, sir. The Veterans Hour proudly presents our military hero story of valor. Our hero today is a 
someone that I've always looked up to and thought about, Lieutenant Colonel Theodore Roosevelt. He distinguished himself by acts of bravery on July 1st, 1898, near Santiago de Cuba, in the Republic of Cuba. While leading a daring charge up San Juan Hill, Lieutenant Colonel Roosevelt, in total disregard for his own personal safety, and accompanied by only four or five men, led a desperate and gallant charge up San Juan Hill, something all of us know. Encouraging his troops to continue the assault through withering enemy fire over open countryside, he faced the enemy's heavy fire and he displayed extraordinary bravery throughout the charge and was the first to reach the enemy's trenches. His leadership and valor turned the tide in the battle for the San Juan Hill. I have to admit that I found out that the President of the United States of America authorized the act of Congress on March 3rd, 1863 to award the Medal of Honor. And it wasn't until January 16th, 2001, that Theodore Roosevelt posthumously received his Medal of Honor. The first person to receive the Medal of Honor and the Nobel Peace Prize. The Veterans Radio Hour salutes the Active Service Person of the Week, made possible through the support of Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. As they say, PBR me, ASAP. Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer, available at your local retail outlet. We try to recognize an active duty service person, usually someone who's deployed. And I thought I had someone that I then received word that he's on special ops, and I'm not to say a thing about this person deployed overseas. So I had to come up with a real quick active duty person that I personally know. So Colonel Tom, tonight we're going to recognize you as our active duty person of the week because of all these fine officers that you're helping to create for the U.S. military. You're listening to the Veterans Hour with retired Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now, back to the broadcast. We're back. Dave uh, Grange is uh, out on a special mission. I'm here today with Colonel Jerry Wolf, uh, a officer candidate from the United States Marine Corps. Lieutenant Colonel Dan Bogoyevich retired a special commissioned officer in the National Guard. I also have our active duty person of the week, Colonel Tom Rendell, who is the 2nd Brigade, 2nd Region uh, Brigade Commander for ROTC. Captain of Reserves, Brent Kaufman, who is our liaison for the academies. On the phone with us, Mike Sparks, uh, Lieutenant out at Fort Bragg. And we just got another uh, call in, uh, Jay Greeley's with us. I'm gonna be bringing him up in a minute because I think he's got a couple commissions over on his end of the phone. Uh, but before we do, uh, something came up that I'm gonna bring to Colonel Wolf real quickly to see if we could all talk about it and if the Colonel would start it off. Um, one of our members in the audience told us that there is another way of receiving a commission besides ROTC, about 75%. Uh, the service academies, about 20%, and another 5% out of OCS, there's a battlefield commission. Can you uh, first explain a little bit of what that means? The battlefield commission has, uh, was used mostly in uh, Korea and World War II, which were large conflicts. And uh, it went to people who had 
as enlisted folks had demonstrated great courage and leadership and also a good knowledge of their uh, military occupational specialty field. So they had the potential for, uh, for leadership and were selected out to do that as a result. So we have not had that uh, in the last uh, uh, few years, but it's possible with what's going on today. It would be possible then. Yes. Because mm -hmm. nothing like that happened with uh, Desert Storm, Desert Shield or anything. Not that we know of. Well, let me, let's go back then to uh, the academies for a minute. I want to finalize a little bit of knowledge that we need on uh, how do the academies develop leaders specifically once they're there? I mean, is it just strictly a college based and a lot of uh, uh, heavy duty as we see on the television, a lot of people um, just being belittled the first year they're there and trying to get through it to the fourth year? Well, certainly that's a component of the first year uh, to go through that a transition process from from civilian to to military member you alluded to it perfectly the purpose general purpose of the service academies is to develop leaders of character for their respective service so by way of example I'll read the West Point's mission or at least a portion of it is to educate train and inspire the Corps cadets so that each graduate is a condition a commissioned leader of character committed to the values of duty on our country the other service academies have a similar mission, and again, the general purpose is to provide those leaders of character for their service. And who are these men or women that attend, or how does one become a member? As, as Colonel Rendell alluded to, ROTC is looking for that scholar, athlete, leader. West Point is looking for that same person. Now, I'm proud to say that there is a strong partnership that that is increasing over the years between ROTC and the service academies at selecting and identifying and evaluating these candidates. Basically, we're looking for that well-rounded person, typically um, a high school student, can be somebody who's served, uh, who's already enlisted, could be somebody who has spent a year at college, potentially at an ROTC program. So there's many components to the application process, and I would be glad to cover that in a couple of minutes, but it usually takes me uh, a good amount of time when I'm when I'm meeting with, when I'm meeting with candidates. But uh, generally, um, we're looking for we're looking for scholars, somebody somebody who has demonstrated an academic level of, of excellence not only in their classes but in their test scores and through their teacher recommendations. We're looking for people who are athletically inclined, people who are varsity letter winners. They also have to pass a physical aptitude exam, which is a five-event uh, physical fitness test. We're looking for leadership qualities that can be demonstrated by participating in a club for several years, then rising to a leadership position in that club. Now, the common components of the service academies are the medical qualification. The medical qualification is handled by an agency called the Department of Defense Medical Evaluation Review Board, and the ROTC programs utilize that, that same program. And for the service academies, a nomination is required, uh, except for the Coast Guard Academy. It does not require a nomination. And who nominates? Nominations can be of a couple forms, but what's important to note is that everybody's eligible for at least four, uh, eligible to apply for a nomination to four different people. These would be the congressional, based nominations. That's the local U.S. representative, the two U.S. senators, and the vice president. 
Now everyone's eligible to compete for those nominations. If the candidate is currently a service member or their parent has retired from the service or is currently serving, they may qualify for a, uh, a presidential nomination, which is a different form of nomination. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, let me bring it back then to OCS for a second, uh, especially uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dan, if you could. Uh, are we still having OCS National Guard trainings going on today as we speak with all the deployment that's been going on with the Guard and the Reserves? We are. As a matter of fact, I wanted to mention that uh, it's, it's a very important thing to understand that regardless of the source of commission, uh, the training is at such a high level that uh, you can take, uh, regardless of the branch, regardless of the source, th the people that come out of there are probably the best trained, uh, most qualified young leaders to serve anywhere in the world. And it's, uh, whether it's an academy, whether it's an ROTC program, whether it's another branch, really is not a material factor. Mm -hmm. uh, we all undergo basically the same type of training. Uh, the training is constantly going on at the ROTC level, academy level, branch level, and OCS level, uh, probably even with more intensity uh, than maybe a short while ago. Mm -hmm. uh, Jay Greeley, are you there with us? Yes, I am. And, and Jay, can you tell us, are you a commissioned officer? Well, yes, I am. I am uh, was a commissioned uh, uh, lieutenant uh, out of Norbert College. At ROTC program? ROTC program. Mm -hmm. I, I think I was the last ROTC four-year student that didn't get a scholarship. <laughs> but, but Poor I guy. Did, uh, no, no, no. I, the Norbertines took care of me. I was a pretty good. Uh, I, I, I was the last one to use their aviation ROTC stipend. Mm -hmm. that we were given, and I uh, then later became an Army aviator, and I served in the 82nd Airborne mm -hmm. and uh, 1st 17th Air Cav. Uh, so uh, I, my question for uh, Colonel Tom is, uh, did he know how many uh, generals we got from that little school at St. Norbert College? He might not. That's a question for uh, Big Steve, who I happen to notice is on the uh, website. And in fact, if you want to know their shoe size and perhaps their service number, I think he's probably got those too. Yeah, I, I, I just mentioned that because when I showed up to the 82nd Airborne, I reported in to uh, uh, a, uh, the CAF squadron commander who I asked me if I ever played any football because I, was, uh, I couldn't fit in his chair that he had me sit in and uh, played center. But to uh, make a long story short, he asked me what school I went to, and I said, well, you probably never heard of it, St. Norbert College. And he said that the, he just came from a division meeting when the general turned to his chief of staff, who was General Lutz, uh, and uh, I think his chief of staff was Matikak. General Lutz was his ADC. Colonel Holliday, who now was, was a general Holliday, became General Holliday, was his Devardi commander. His medical commander was uh, General Matikak, who was colonel at the time. Uh, all of them from St. Norbert College. Wow. So um, he was. He said uh, the question that uh, I believe it was General Merriman said, "Where is St. Norbert College?" And General Lutz told him. To, I mean, General Lutz at the time told him, to, "Don't worry about it. It's just a little West Point of the North, and we don't have to play Navy every year." <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Jay, uh, being commissioned, uh, I think uh, do you have a son that's also commissioned? Don't yes. you? Yes. Uh, there's always been a Greeley in the Guard. 
and uh, going dating back to uh, uh, my great-grandfather in Racine, Wisconsin, who was a captain in the Wisconsin Guard. And I served as a uh, active Army guy sign attached to Wisconsin Guard out of uh, Madison, Truex Field. Um, my son is in the Virginia OCS program right now. He's uh -huh. also a graduate student at VCU. And uh, we're pretty, pretty proud of him. He's an 88 Mike. He uh, enlisted. And then uh, he's been serving with, uh, with the Guard. Yeah, I think I heard that in a commercial driving up to Wisconsin, something about Greeley's and the Guard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I feel real proud of you. Mike, yeah. Mike Sparks again, you still there with us? Yes, sir, I am. Okay, uh, what's happening down in your uh, neck of the woods in Fort Bragg? Are they still putting uh, OCS things together in that area? Yes, they are. Uh, we have a 14-month uh, program extended that the National Guard runs that uh, you have to go one weekend a month, and it's kind of a hellacious thing that uh, people are put through. But something I wanted to add, there is another way of uh, becoming commissioned we're gonna, before 1957. Okay, Mike, we're going to get back to sure? that. Okay. When we come back after this commercial, we're going to come back to you, and we'll start right off, and you're going to tell us about in the 50s this other way of becoming commissioned. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll be right back on the Veterans Radio Hour. You're listening to the Veterans Hour on the Talk, 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 Talk Radio Network. You're listening to the Veterans Radio Hour. We are on the air every Sunday evening at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. We're heard, <clears throat> pardon me, we're heard both on the Internet uh, as well as uh, over the Talk Radio Network on uh, 60 or 70 stations across the country. So hello to everybody listening to us. Uh, this evening's program is entitled Sources of Commission, or in other words, How Do You Become an Officer? We have some very interesting and uh, highly knowledgeable uh, and informed guests who are uh, giving us uh, all of the important information about uh, becoming an officer in the United States military. Uh, incidentally, if anyone listening uh, would like uh, some further information or has a specific point that they would like to have answered, please send us an email. We will see that uh, the proper people uh, uh, hear about it and that you are sent uh, the information that you want. If you have a comment or a question, uh, email that in uh, over our website and uh, we, we will forward it uh, to the host uh, who, if it's an appropriate uh, question, will uh, bring it up for discussion at the round table uh, or even uh, possibly uh, if you want to call in, uh, we may be able to get you on the air with an appropriate question. Veterans Radio Hour is in our 20th week. Uh, we began uh, broadcasting uh, as I say, 20 weeks ago, the program has had an excellent uh, reception, and uh, we're very, very happy about uh, how everything is going, and we thank all of our listeners uh, for uh, their support. Uh, Veterans Radio Hour is sponsored by GIM Productions, uh, by Dallas Corporation, uh, and by Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer, PB Army ASAP. Let me just very quickly acknowledge some of the people behind the scenes here that make the show possible. Carl King, the engineer and production director. Lambert Matias, the studio manager. Kenny DeCamp, of course, senior producer. Ron uh, Eli is the uh, a webmaster and ch uh, chatmaster. Ron Saguski is in charge of the phone lines. I'm Fred Cutchins. 
Uh, we thank you for listening. We encourage you to uh, tell your friends about the program and have them listen in. And, uh, uh, of course, all of our previous programs are available over the website on the archive. Thank you, and we'll go back on the air shortly. The Veterans Hour now returns to full readiness on the TRM Talk Radio Network. Okay, we're live, and I'm coming back. Uh, we had to leave on a quick commercial break there on the radio land and you know we're going to stay live after we go off the air at 9:59, radio wise we're going to stay live for another 15 minutes or so on our internet stream which usually we get in about 50 countries uh, during the evening um mike sparks uh lieutenant out there help us out now you were going to give us some information yeah 1957 the russians were first to put a satellite in orbit but before that time we had an actual singular rank structure where if you were progressing in rank as a sergeant, you had a choice, and it was expected that you could become an officer. Ever since the uh, summons of the trumpet, which is a book written by General Maxwell Taylor, called for a professional uh, officer corps and separation of the two career tracks, you've had this polarization that's taken place where you have enlisted men that are having young college kids basically be put in charge of their platoons, and there's a certain uh, uh, dis uh, discontinuity there, you might want to say. And one of the ways we could fix that is uh, with what we're doing now, a simultaneous membership program. If you're mm -hmm. a reservist, you can stay in your reserve unit and participate in ROTC as you're going to college. So if you're a, you are you're an enlisted man, and you've actually experienced enlisted boot camp, basic training, and you're participating in your unit, but you're also at the same time while you're in college going through uh, officer training, you'll find that uh, the men will uh, respect you more because you've been where they've been through and you have uh, understanding uh, as a man, as a person, as a leader, what uh, their world is like. So I would like to see that as a standard procedure if it would be possible in your freshman or sophomore year and you're in ROTC, why not go to basic training for your summer instead of maybe, you know, spring break and become an enlisted man and join the local Army Reserve Unit or National Guard Unit. Get gotcha. that experience. Basic training. Uh-huh. We, we've got some feedback playing right now here. I think we're going to be bringing it down a little bit. Uh, let me go around the the table for a minute because what we want to do is get a, about a one minute uh, as we close out of the radio program here, about a, a one minute statement in relationship to each one of these uh, sources of commission. And, I, and I'm going to start right off the bat with the academies and, and uh, Captain Brent Kaufman, especially about the, the myth that people have about being connected uh, when you talked about it, I mean, if I know a senator, I'm probably going to be able to get in. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, Kenny. Uh, I'd like to debunk the myth on this important program that you don't need to know a congressman. You don't have to intern for a congressman. All that stuff is immaterial. And the reason why is uh, Congress people have gotten smarter over the years. And now what they have done is in, installed an, an independent competitive process for their nominations. So what they have is they have a panel of residents that will review those files. They make the recommendation to the congressperson, and that person uh, smartly uh, signs those nominations in accordance with that, those panel's recommendations. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dan, uh, what would you say uh, to any of the people that might be interested in the National Guard today? I think it's an absolutely wonderful program and a great way to uh, get your commission. 
if you so desire. It's um, a little bit more of a challenge because of the length of time it takes to get that commission, but the end result is extremely rewarding. You are able to still be home with your family uh, during your participation in the program, and it's, uh, it's, it's just great to have that source as well as all the other sources. And Colonel Wolf? I think that uh, the commissioning process uh, and all these services is, is somewhat uh, somewhat similar. However, we in the Marine Corps feel that it's a program that leads to other leadership. You'd be amazed at the number of uh, CEOs and heads of business and industry are former Marine officers, and there are several of them right here in the Chicago area. So it, it is a good uh, training for further uh, uh, advancement in civilian life. I'd like to bring up one more point that Please. we didn't really get to. And uh, the fact is, it's not a commissioning program, but it's a good pre-commissioning program. That's a junior ROTC. We have several, uh, we have three Marine uh, units here in the Chicago area. However, and most of the folks are, in, are with the Army. We have uh, the only uh, Board of Education run military academy in the United States, mm -hmm. one in Brownsville. And uh, it, it's doing a good job of preparing people for later military careers. Mm -hmm. And uh, our ROTC colonel, the junior ROTC. Yes, uh, just to mention something that we, we do, it's, it's the junior ROTC program. It also came under the same Defense uh, Act of uh, 1916. It's generally a citizenship program, although it used to be providing uh, training and a, and a source of commissioned officers as well as uh, or experience for commissioning as well as regular soldiers. Uh, the interesting thing about Army is it's not the only service that does ROTC, and the folks need to check out if they have desires for Marine Corps, Navy, or Air Force, the other ROTC programs. And finally, I'd like to say that there are programs by which a person can be in the Reserve or in the National Guard and can also go to college on the Guard or the Reserve and get commissioned through ROTC to go into either the Reserve component or active duty. And these details are available at these various websites. Uh, also, someone could email me if they wanted some additional information. And Thank you. Jay Greeley, can you give us a little bit of heads up for 30 seconds? Well, I, I'll tell you, I'm really impressed with uh, the crew, and I think they've uh, uh, laid out the perfect case. Uh, I coach uh, hockey, and now we've got a number of uh, kids that are so interested. Uh, We've uh, had the opportunity as a retired officer to uh, do some enlistment uh, oaths. And I'll tell you that uh, the National Guard here in Virginia has been, you know, they, they talk about the individuals that are going to be called up. Well, a lot of them are um, students. And so they're you. doing great. Good. Thank you, Jay. Hang on with us today. Uh, Mike sure. Sparks, if you could help us out, too, uh, about uh, all the things you understand and being commissioned. I would enlist first from high school in an Army Reserve or Marine Reserve uh, enlisted uh, status and then go into the Reserve Commissioning Program, whether it be OCS or State OCS. It's an excellent way to get experience of what the enlisted men experience so that when you do become an officer, they'll um, respect you for having walked in their footsteps. Well, I thank you very much on that. We're going to be winding down the rest of this show on the radio in just a few moments, and then it will be approximately a 10 to 15 second break away that will then continue streaming uh, live on the veteransradiohour.com. So those of you on the radio, if you want to get back onto your computers now with us, we'd appreciate it, and you can get right to our discussion board. We thank you very much, and this is an over and out tonight on the Radio Talk Radio Network. And we'll be back in just about 20 seconds.
Okay, we are back. I thank you very much. This is now the easy flow of the game. Uh, I'm going to just read something that uh, Bob Gensch and uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dan were able to turn me on. It, it's a pretty long uh, sermon, but I'm not going to read the entirety of it. I'm just going to read what I thought was the emphasis uh, that makes uh, a lot of sense about what's going on today in our world. And it's something that goes like this. It's from uh, John Haggie. It's the soldier, not the reporter, who gives you the freedom of press. It's the soldier, not the poet, who gives you the freedom of speech. It's the soldier, not the campus organizer, who allows you to demonstrate. It's the soldier who salutes the flag, serves the flag, and whose coffin is draped with the flag that allows the protester to burn the flag. Lord, hold all of our troops in your loving hands and protect them as they protect us. Quite a, a bit of sense there. And of course, with soldiers, you have to realize that every soldier needs a command. And that command has to be that officer, so the training that officer has. One thing I was talking for a moment with uh, Colonel Wolf about just for a few moments was the relationship of uh, officers and sometimes the different feelings between uh, the guy who was from West Point, uh, the 20-day the, uh, wonder, I think, or second-day wonder, we used to call. What was it? Oh, yeah, the 90. 90-day wonder, uh, we used to call him in uh, Vietnam. And, uh, and then the difference with some of the ROTC guys who just had so much intelligence and sometimes they, they, nobody believed they had any common sense uh, in, the, in the guys. Could we talk about that for just a moment, anybody? Well, I was, I was going to bring up something that Mike uh, Sparks talked about, and that was uh, enlisting in the, in the reserve or guard is an excellent way to see how soldiers work, what the jobs are, what your responsibilities requirements are, and then go into a, a, an OCS program. I think you truly do get a different level of respect from soldiers. Uh, because you have been one of them. You've done the jobs that soldiers do. And I think that um, in their minds, uh, th they'll, they'll do the job that you ask them to do because they know that you've done it. And I think Mike, Mike uh, Sparks touched on that just at the end of the, uh, the broadcast. And I think that's a very important issue uh, that can be handled through a state program or an OCS program because a lot of those men and women who go into those programs tend to have been enlisted prior to uh, going to get a commission. Mm -hmm. That's good. Is that big Steve I hear breathing yeah, you, in the background? Yeah, you got it, Mac. <laughs> there he is. Hey, hey uh, listen, I sent you uh, an article here a couple days ago from uh, a, uh, I believe a colonel in the Air Force, uh, Brian Shaw. Okay. You know, he was shot down, almost burned to death uh, in his plane. Uh, uh, wasn't going to make it uh, back flying. It was a great article. It was about 10 minutes long. You had to read it. But uh, I can email it again to uh, some of your uh, uh, folks on the show and give it to uh, General uh, Grange and also to Tom uh, Rendell. But a great story about a colonel in the Air Force, Brian Shaw. And I thought you had another special officer you wanted to tell us about. Well, 
you had Frederick Funston, who was a cowboy enlisted in the uh, Spanish-American War in 1898, had no military training whatsoever, advanced from PFC or a private all the way up to Brigadier General, and commanded all land forces at the Battle of Veracruz in 1914, and was going to be shipped overseas uh, in the first war when he died of a heart attack at the age of 51. But uh, there was one other uh, person, uh, a Marine, and I, you know how I love Marines. Yes, I know uh, that. But a fellow that enlisted in the Marine Corps at the age of 16, became a captain at 19, commanded the Marine forces uh, <clears throat> at, uh, um, oh, what is it, the, uh, at the Spanish Civil War, and then fought in the Philippines and the First World War double medal of honor winner no formal uh, training uh, military training but double medal of honor winner uh, smedley darrington butler <laughs> yeah colonel oh, tom just uh, guess that one wait he does well <laughs> let me give him one i can't guess uh well steve I, I already got the two you sent which was uh, fred funston who was actually also commanding the rebels when theodore roosevelt won his medal of honor you can you can see a depiction of him in that great movie uh, rough riders Right, right. And he was then also the guy that went into the Philippines in about 1902 and brought out the rebel, uh, Emilio Aguinaldo, who was uh, the head honcho of the, the Philippine insurrection. Uh, interesting right. character. Came from Kansas. So here we have some more great uh, officers. Uh, you said something a minute ago, Colonel Wolf, about uh, one of these guys, Gimlet? Or? Well, well, Smedley Butler was a uh, very austere type of uh, a person who was uh, very accomplished and very heroic. But uh, he had a very stern look, so he was yeah. known as Old Gimlet. Gimlet, I think he liked to drink a few gimlets. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, from what I heard, these officers don't drink. And that's since they invented the funnel. <laughs> okay, well, uh, listen, uh, do you want a couple more? I know a couple uh, other. Uh, no, hang loose. We're going to get back onto one of. We still got a couple guys. Because uh, I, I, I mentioned that Mike Sparks was at Fort Bragg, and I, I think I was wrong. It's Fort Benning. Well, I was uh, stationed there, and now I'm here at uh, reservist, you know, near the Fort Benning area. Uh huh. And that's where uh, you become more acquainted with uh, the OCS program that still continues at Fort Benning. Yeah, the one of 14 uh, is 14 weeks at Fort Benning, uh -huh. straight through. You uh, residents <laughs> stay there and uh, go through it one shot. I just want to come. I just want to comment on something that that was said earlier. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's always been thought that officers from different places uh, matriculate differently in the Army, and of course that's, that's even compounded by individuality and personality and such, but we're working very hard to make sure that officers these days come in, and if they're not from OCS and they don't have experience, we try to give it to them while they're in ROTC. But you've got to remember, too, that just like the sports player that you knew in high school that was uh, the 150-pound halfback and went on to college and uh, played soccer, while the big guy who couldn't play football in high school is now the star quarterback in college, many people matriculate through these things at different rates. And so after a few years, you really can't tell where somebody came from. And I don't know as uh, anymore there's, there's a clear delineation. What's, what's interesting is that the graduates of the service academies generally will have an engineering background, and that sets them apart in many ways from OCS and ROTC. ROTC is starting to shift towards engineering as a kind of a, a, a main focus. But I personally was a liberal arts major. I was uh, a Pointed to the Naval Academy. Uh, while I was at Knox in Illinois, 
I uh, received a letter from West Point saying that even though the Navy didn't want me because my eyes were bad, they'd sure take me, but I was already at Knox. I joined our, uh, the ROTC program at Knox uh, as a junior. Many people do the same thing. Uh, I got a chance to look at the matriculation process for both firsthand, and, and they both were excellent. And the Navy met me with great folks that told me what the career would be like, what football would be like. I mean, just like what you're doing. And it's it's a great program, and I'm sure you do the same thing. So just remember this. Yeah, there's there's kind of a rivalry, but we're all green, we're all Army, and we're, we're working very hard to build the kind of ethics that the Marine Corps has developed and, and kept all these years. And, and the Chief of Staff of the Army has made it a big... Uh, positive that you're not just a soldier and then you're finished. I mean, they've got all kinds of initiatives to make us feel more like we're part of a culture as opposed to just an organization you're in for a few years and then you go off and watch it from the sidelines. I want to bring Jerry Wolf back in once more in, in regards to uh, is there an OCS group that uh, you originally were with uh, that you graduated with? I mean, the way there are reunions, for instance, from high schools and colleges, uh, alumni. Is there an alumni with your group? Yes, there is. Uh, it's mostly with the uh, graduates in the special basic course. And matter of fact, uh, I'm going to one of my reunions in June and uh, see uh, how many folks will, will show up. I got a roster the other day and I was shocked to see that about 30 of them were deceased. Mm -hmm. But uh, yes, there is an alumni organization and uh, it's very tight knit. And what year did you graduate from yours? Uh, 1952. 52. Yeah, the one of the things that I know the generals brought up a few times on air with us is the the number of uh, veterans that are passing away each day. 1,000 a day. Yeah, I've heard between 1,000 and 1,500 constantly, and it's uh, it's something. That's why um, when I brought up uh, that story about Bud Day a little <coughs> bit ago and what he's doing for the veterans uh, right now for the. The, the benefits that uh, are trying to be uh, taken away from the old retirees. You know, it's something sad because it, it's at that time of your life that you, you need that, that medical benefit the, the most. And the appeals court came up and literally said that uh, the recruiter had no right to tell anybody that by signing up they'd have medical benefits for life. Um, well, that, that, that's, that's possible, but um, I think you have to reflect upon the fact that the membership of Congress that makes a lot of these rules is, is severely declining in people with military experience. Correct. And uh, what we need to do is to look at that in our electorate. That's, that's really true. You had something there for us, Captain? Yes, I'd just like to offer a couple examples. Um, Colonel Rendell mentioned the Army looks at it as we're all green, we're all serving together as one Army. A couple examples of that partnership. When it comes to admissions for, for West Point and ROTC scholarships, there's communication between uh, Cadet Command and the Department of the Director of Admissions at West Point, and that is for those candidates who are qualified but not selected for West Point, we share that information with ROTC Cadet Command, and they are looked upon very favorably, and most of them receive four-year scholarships. Uh, a second example of partnership is a few years ago, we. West Point started to uh, bring in a few ROTC cadets during the second summer at cadet field training. This is commonly referred to as Camp Buckner. And so from various ROTC campuses across the country, we have some ROTC participation at West Point. And the whole purpose here is for these two different sources of commission to uh, share experiences with each other. So when they do hit the unit together, there is less of that animosity. I think we're making uh, excellent strides in that direction. 
Sure sounds like it. Um, Mike Sparks, we're going to be winding down a little bit here, so you've got any last things you'd like to talk with us about? Well, yes, sir, I would. I, I would like to see the uh, cadets or the candidates as they're going through their college to be professionally in tune with the modern battlefield. The modern battlefield's gotten more complicated. So I'd like to see some online um, resources so that they have a reading program, a list of books that they have to read. And as they read these books, they do book reports. And when they do the book reports, they're turned in. So it becomes part of their military education. I've always admired ROTC for doing that. But when you're in the OCS program, uh, particularly in the Marine Corps, you're kind of floating during this uh, school year. You don't have any sustainment, land navigation training, or any reading program. It's a lot of money to have an actual ROTC program at the college. But it seems to me that you should be able to set something up online to sustain the military training of the uh, officer candidate between you know his uh, summer training sessions and of course one thing you can do is uh, put it online so excellent it's already there. excellent suggestion very very good it's probably coming out of your think tank there i would imagine yeah we got a pretty big book list <laughs> <laughs> very good and uh, jay greeley with us well i i see here from my question uh, what region uh you mentioned uh, that you that uh, tom covers wisconsin um oshkosh now i guess is the center for uh, St. Norbert, University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, ROTC region. You've got some great folks up there working. I had the opportunity to uh, visit them and uh, work with them over the last year. And uh, we put together a veterans uh, uh, mass and reunion where we uh, had, had a homecoming lined up, all of the uh, veterans from uh, St. Norbert College, ROTC, dating back from World War II to uh, Bosnia and uh, we had something like 87 people that showed up. We also dedicated a plaque that's in the chapel there mm -hmm. Jay, uh, with all the names of those that were lost in World War II, Vietnam, Korea. Yeah, that, that uh, detachment there in, uh, at Oshkosh is headed by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Blando, and he's right. a great guy. He's got a great program. And, as I, yeah. and you, you highlighted something I said earlier. Although we've got 270 major hubs, each of those hubs has two to three and sometimes more satellite programs such as Oshkosh to St. Norbert. So, uh, I mean, there's a heck of right. a lot of ROTC out there, and, and uh, it's a great program. Well, the, the Norbertines have always had that school used to turn out uh, every single student that uh, was an all-boys school back in the 40s had to be ROTC. As a matter of fact, the science building uh, was built by uh, the federal government, which is very unusual. And some of the Norbertines were some of the main scientists that uh, had worked on the space shuttle and uh, other uh, projects for the government in the 50s and the 40s. Mm-hmm. Colonel Wolf, you had something. Yes. Yeah, so how, how do you get information about Marine Corps uh, commissioning programs? Uh, there is a, a group called the Officer Selection uh, Office, which is uh, generally situated with the recruiting office. But uh, they are not manned all across the country. But these uh, OSO people, as we call them, visit very, uh, various college campuses and are available for questions and uh, have the literature and uh, all the things that you need to make a decision. So uh, the OSO is the person that you should be interested in. Uh-huh. You were mentioning something, too, uh, Captain, about um, <coughs> some kind of a conference coming up or something, an ROTC. Uh, Correct. Uh, are these held all over, or is this a specific one? Or? We briefly mentioned JROTC. 
not surprisingly, Chicago has the largest JROTC contingent. Uh, I believe they have approximately 8,000 plus in JROTC and um, even a, a middle school program that flows into JROTC. Really? The, the point that I wanted to mention was that uh, Chicago JROTC is having a, a, a college fair February, Saturday, February 22nd at IIT. And so obviously the, um, the Chicago area JROTC cadets you know, are invited to that. And I'm not certain if that is a, uh, a public event or not, but certainly is worth, uh, worth attending that. Uh, these are kind of um, uh, a public or, or even uh, high school level high school level conferences. They they go on probably all across the country, or is this something special to Chicago because of how many junior ROTCs we have? Who knows? The exact number of programs, <laughs> I'm not sure. We have uh, several dozen schools with JROTC in Chicago. Uh, as far as college fairs, of course, this this one is unique because it's it's catered for Chicago ROTC and this is their second annual um, Chicago JROTC College Fair. Well we're winding down now here and um, if anybody else has the last couple things they'd like to say uh, we can probably do a couple more minutes worth. I think um, I'd just like to cite an example of the type of training you get regardless of what your source was. Uh, on a personal level I retired in 87 and New Year's Day of 97 as the Rose Bowl game was beginning I got a phone call and 30 days later I think I ran into Tom Rondell tromping through the mud in Bosnia but it um, after being retired for 10 years and going for a two-week refresher course at Fort Benning and a couple of other uh, places Holmesfeld Germany and things of that nature it all came back Mm -hmm. It took 30, after being gone 10 years, other than the technology, which took a while to um, brush up on, but the, that 30-day period, uh, all the previous training came back, and you just, you just fit right back in. Very good. Well, I'm going to wind it down now. I want to really thank uh, and, and be happy to add to the group uh, Colonel Jerry Wolf and... Uh, Captain Brent Kaufman, and what I mean by the group is, um, since we've started the show uh, 20 weeks ago, uh, the generals had a lot of help. I've had a lot of help from a lot of good people. Uh, some of the people that have been on with us uh, for a long time is uh, Big Steve Sumsky, who's been one of our main correspondents and a man who knows a lot about uh, the military. We've, we've used him as our military enthusiast. Jay Greeley, who's out on the coast and uh, in a special position in, in his career now and has uh, been very helpful to us. Mike Sparks, who has done and worked a lot with, uh, um, uh, uh, with General Dave and a lot with uh, tactical things and giving us information that we need here. Uh, Colonel Tom, I think out of 20 shows, has been at 15 of them live with us. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dan has been uh, with us since the, the beginning of the show is one of our original uh, founders that's uh, helped us to kick off and uh, and I think he's getting married soon too so uh, congratulate him on the air for everybody hey, to know. Yeah, Steve. Kenny, uh, you know that uh, questions about uh, the two officers or two men that went through uh, 
one year of Virginia Military Institute and later became generals. Well, uh, one was Army, one was Marine Corps. The Army guy was General Courtney Hodges, which a lot of people don't remember. He had one year to Virginia Military Academy, commanded 1st Army Group in uh, France in World War II. I can tell you who's in 1st Army Group. Uh, I can also tell you the other Marine was Chesty Puller. Chesty Puller. Colonel Wolf just said that name before you did. Oh, he did. Huh? Oh, yeah. I, I think this guy would have a good go around with you. Uh, well, uh, I'm, and he's I'm bigger more than, than you, too. to uh, go ahead on anything that. Uh, he would like to talk about uh, any time. Big Steve, you got to understand. Simplify. You got to understand, though, Big Steve. Yeah. Patton did do a year at VMI. He may not have been the one that you knew about, but uh, he did do a year at VMI. Now, yeah, I got he another did one for you. one year at VMI and then four years at the point. Okay, but but he still did a year at VMI, so right, the answer's still right. Patton. Uh, it may be the other gentleman, too. Courtney Hicks Hodges, great officer, but you're right. It was Patton. Hey, I got a question for you. Sherman said something about a very famous officer who went on a mission to the North Pole that he only had one command and he ate that. Who was that, do you know? Uh, Perry, I believe it was. No, it was Greeley. Greeley? <laughs> it was a Greeley? Oh, God, looks like I missed one. A Greeley in the guard? Yeah, Fort Greeley. <laughs> it was a very famous mission to find the North Pole and uh, unfortunately uh, things got uh, rather rough. It was the first telephone pole, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Captain. Hey, I resemble that remark. Right, uh, I guess we could have a military trivia question maybe every week. Yeah, one, I think we'll, we'll start ending the show with that. Yeah, I'm sure we could talk General Dave into it. <laughs> All right, that'll be great. Wait, Captain's got something to say for a minute. Yeah, sure. so on, on one more serious note, it was interesting talking about where famous generals were before. And a uh, few people know that, that Norman Schwarzkopf spent a year at Valley Forge Military Academy. And that reminds me that, the, that the, the three large service academies, West Point, Annapolis, and Air Force Academy, they have an alumni scholarship program. And they, so they have 35 to 50 slots for candidates who have shown incredible leadership potential but are just shy on, on academics. And they'll offer these scholarships to to these exceptional candidates, and they'll spend a year at a junior military college, such as Valley Forge Military Academy or New Mexico Military Academy, and then matriculate to the to the Federal Service Academy the following year. Excellent. And with that note, I want to thank all of you gentlemen for being here with us tonight. It's been a, a great show. I hope that uh, some of our veterans out there have heard it and remembered and uh, reminisced over some of their commissioned or their commissioned officers that they served with as well as uh, some of the younger people. Um, I know that WRMN 14:10 a.m. in the Chicagoland area will be rebroadcasting the same show um, this uh, Tuesday at 9 a.m. and then also at 9 p.m. Tuesday night. And uh, hopefully we'll have some young people uh, tune in on either one of those shows and get, get inspired to become commissioned. Thank you again, and this is the Veterans Radio Hour. Thanks to our live audience. And everyone else in this house, we're out. Thanks, Carl.